You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 211. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Today's episode is sponsored by Squarespace.com. To try out Squarespace for free, head over to squarespace.com slash lively and enter the code lively at checkout to get 10% off of your service. At the end of this episode, we'll be speaking to Lively Show listener Nan Phillips of Simply Elegant Blog about her experience with the service. Now let's move on. Today I am an Ubud. I think I'm getting better at saying that Ubud, Ubud, Ubud. I have to just change those U's to O's in my head. And I'm staying here at Rome specifically. If you follow me on Instagram, you may have seen a few of my pictures of Rome and I love it so much that I asked them to sponsor the show because I just wanted to talk to you honestly and have an excuse to share Rome with you because I've been traveling for a year and while I love myself some Airbnbs that are beautiful, As you guys know, I also now have, for some reason, never found out before, but now I know about Rome. And I think that's gonna change a lot of my travel when I'm in cities like London, Miami, Ubud, and Tokyo, if I go out to Tokyo, maybe I will now, all because of Rome. Rome is this awesome co-living, co-working concept that's basically perfect for digital nomads like myself. So if you love great design, you love co-working with people and having community, as well as traveling to awesome places like London, Miami, Ubud, and Tokyo, this could be perfect for you too. I really wish, like, I had known about this sooner because they have a location in London in Chelsea where I've been spending mega bucks to stay in Airbnbs on my own when I could have been staying in this gorgeous place for less than I was paying for these Airbnbs in the exact same neighborhood with community, with other creative people. It's really awesome. If you want to check it out and sign up for it, you have to actually apply and they have created a free offer for you guys. I asked them to give you guys something special as a sponsor of the show. So I wanted you guys to have a way to stay there and get some kind of bonus. And they offered to give you a first night free of your first day. So if you wanna check this out and put in your application, you can do that at any time. Do it before June 1st to get that first night free, which is great, especially in expensive cities like Tokyo and London to get a free night stay somewhere. That could be hundreds of dollars of savings just with that alone. And like I said, these are co-living, co-working spaces. So they really give you great deals on the weeks and months that you stay there. It's perfect if you are a digital nomad or somehow trying to travel and work as you go and you're looking for that community and great design at the same time. So to do this, go over to roam.co, put in your application, and then in the referral code, enter the code lively in that application. So once you put in your application, you are free to use that free night whenever you want. So don't worry if you're not traveling before June, just get your application in before June and then take your time planning a trip and go whenever you'd like in the future. Now let's move on to the show. As you guys heard last week, Ubud has been a fascinating time for me in my life. If you listened to last week's episode, you heard me speak about anger and loneliness in some real time that was a few weeks ago. I think I'm on my third week here in Ubud and emotion has been the name of this chapter of my life for sure. They say that Ubud is a very spiritual place and the volcanic nature of the land and the spirituality, whatever excuses or whatever reasons people may give. I have talked to many, many people that have had 
clearing is what they use the term for. They call it clearing, emotional clearing. Things get stirred up here. And as I said last week, I was hoping I would not be one of those people. And I was at the time disappointed because I was one of those that had to go through some stuff. But now that I've gone through it and I'm going through it and I'm much more comfortable with it, I actually think I am much better off for having stuck it out and really stayed and seen this through. And that's actually what I want to talk about today is to talk about all of these realizations I've been having around emotion, particularly the negative, the lower end of the emotional scale. Over the last year, you guys have heard me sit on that high flying disc so often, and I've gotten really good at that. But at the same time that it was very good for me and I was very great at being really high and really happy, I also had this subtle underlying fear to some degree of difficult emotion. And this has been an opportunity for me to kind of de-escalate that in my own mind and in my own life. And this is actually, I think, going to make me a much more powerful person going forward because I'm no longer going to give negative emotion the power that it might have had in subtle ways previously. And there are a lot of parts to this episode. They're gonna be six, so stick with me. Part one is about the connection between emotion and control. Part two is about the difficult emotions we face and how that interacts with the law of attraction. Part three is about the emotion game. Part four is about how to play the difficult emotion you're dealt. Part five is about releasing ceremonies. And part six is about the cocoon effect. So if you're ready, let's get started. And hopefully, as you're listening, there's gonna be one of two scenarios most likely. Either right now you're going through a difficult phase of emotion in your life, And I think in this case, this is going to be super helpful, and at least I hope it's going to be super helpful for you to listen to the tactics and the things that I've learned through this myself. And if you're not in that place in your life right now, this could also be good for you to keep in mind in the future when or if you do find yourself struggling with difficult phases or emotions as well. So let's start with part one, connection between emotion and control. All right, so I've been thinking a lot about this, and I think a lot of what emotion has to do with is our relationship with perceived control of our current life circumstances. So depending on how we're feeling about our current life circumstances and our perception of control, it depends on whether the ego or the intuition is really where our awareness is focused on. This is gonna have to do a lot with how we feel and how we're going to release things and move through our lives. So emotion and control, I think, are intimately connected. The perception of control. Are we looking for control from the ego standpoint or are we looking for control through the intuition? So by the way, before we get started, there's here a little special note I wanna give you. This is not about future life circumstances. I do believe that we have a heavy, heavy, heavy hand in creating our future reality based on our choices and emotions in the present moment. But when we focus on what is in our life right now in front of us and we fight it by dwelling on it, by thinking about this circumstance, let's say it's not something we want, we are creating more momentum in that direction. By focusing on what we don't want that's in our lives right now, we're creating more momentum emotionally and I believe in the creation of our own reality, the actual things that are going to happen to us. So in that focus, we create these negative emotional states. 
In fact, one current theory, but it's just a theory actually, I've actually been learning about other theories about how emotions work, which changes this whole paradigm, but the current most popular prevailing theory I've heard on emotions and how they work is as follows. So we have these neural receptor sites in our brains, they fire thoughts, those thoughts then send a signal to the hypothalamus to create neural peptides, which you can think of as little keys. So those little peptides, those chains go through the bloodstream and then they go in and lock into cell receptor sites on our organs in our bodies. And once those little keys go into the locks on the cell receptor sites, they create, they unlock that cell and create a physical sensation. So let's say for example, you have a thought of fear, then the hypothalamus creates a peptide of, I'm not sure exactly what the chemical emotion that would be, but let's say it, I'm sure some of you guys know this, but let's say it creates that fear-based chemical, goes through the bloodstream, unlocks the cell receptor sites, and maybe we get a pit in our stomach or we feel a physical sensation of tightness in our chest. That is how this is currently generally believed to be happening. So when we're in a good emotional state, for whatever reason, we're perceiving our circumstances optimistically and we allow things to unfold with relative ease. So the emotions we're feeling and then the physical sensations we're feeling are open and allowing and good and positive. And when we're in that state, we're often then, when we look at control of our lives, we're in this high-flying, good-feeling state. So we're probably able to do what I have focused on most of the last year, which I do encourage, if you're feeling good, finding flow with the current circumstances and taking the adventure that follows. If you listen to the episodes from last summer, you hear me talk about this over and over again. My major focus was asking myself, what is the universe flowing to me in the present moment? And then taking the action and adventure to follow. Okay, so in the example of my last relationship ending, that was, I was at a personal all-time high of joy and feeling of connection and ease, and then flowed with that and had an amazing unfolding there. So a lot of people could have had a very difficult or negative emotion around that type of thing, but because I was in an optimistic, positive place emotionally and mentally, I was able to flow with it, not knowing what was gonna happen next, but with full faith that what would come would be something that I wanted. So my perception of control was aligned with my intuition. My intuition said, you want a life you never imagined before when I sold the house and I had the faith and the positive state to follow it and have the idea that I don't know where this is going, but I know, or I at least believe it's going to be somewhere good and something that I do want. I just don't know what that looks like yet. In addition, you also last summer heard me talk about the migraines that I had in a meditation retreat where I was in physical pain because of these migraines every day for pretty much the most of that entire week, multiple migraines a day, yet I still had tons of joy because I was in an amazing emotional state. The physical pain did not create the psychological suffering. So again, I just stayed at a high state and even though circumstances in my life in those moments felt out of my control, I didn't let it steal my joy. And it's great when we're doing that. It's wonderful. Maybe you've had parts of your life where you've been feeling that faith and optimism and belief of all unfolding and well, and you're tied in, tapped into your intuition's guidance, and it's taking you somewhere new that your ego might have a freak out about, but your greater awareness is not dwelling on the ego freak out as much as it is on the positive unfolding of all that is. 
However, when we start to get too specific about what we want our future to unfold, or if we start to doubt whether it will go the way we like, we can start to create negative emotional states in the present moment. And this is what I've realized that I did pretty unconsciously in 2017. So the emotions that I've been facing here in Ubud have a lot, I think, been having to do with the fact that my ego flipped its script in some point in 2017. I started from the ego's perspective to decide that I knew what this whole trip was all about, which was basically to find my partner. Yes, I loved all of the amazing unfoldings and data collecting and everything that I did last year, but I think I kind of decided that the purpose of this next phase of the trip was to find the partner. However, in writing to my intuition because of the negative states that followed, which I'll get into in a second, my intuition lately has been saying that the responses, at least I'm hearing from it, are saying that this has been more about me finding myself and this connection to my intuition deepening doesn't really have anything to say about finding a partner. Sure, I'm sure that I've had data collecting and that sort of thing, but up until now, this has not been actually about finding the partner at all, even though my ego wanted that to be the mission. So this is totally making sense in terms of what's happened in my life so far, but my ego was super unhappy to hear this. It felt very pointless in this journey. It was like, I don't wanna be alone. I wanna be with my partner. So it was not accepting of it. And in that non-acceptance, those thoughts around that, that dissonance, that discord between what my ego wanted the future to unfold in, it was like it flipped the script from what's the universe flowing to me in the present moment and then taking the adventure to follow. It decided this is the adventure I want and I'm going to assume the universe is going to flow it to me. And in that flipping, in that non-accepting of the current state of reality or what my intuition was telling me this is about, I felt a lot of negative emotion. I have felt emotions of sadness, frustration, helplessness, depression, not clinical depression, but just this lack of energy, negative state, and anger, as you heard last week. And I didn't want to face these emotions. I really wanted to bypass all of them and launch back into happiness in 2.5 seconds. Can I get an amen on that? Especially as you listen to Abraham Hicks, which I'll get to in part two, I feel like that's so tempting to want to just get out of this as soon as possible. But the truth was I couldn't budge them until I actually faced them and released them, particularly anger, which you heard me talk about last week. So what I'm now calling this is giving on a low. So I gave the control to my intuition and the unfolding of the universe and everything that I wanted to happen having faith that it would, giving on a high when I was in the migraines or when I was in the relationship unfolding, when I sold the house, I was stepping into uncertainties in all of those cases with the full optimism that things are going to unfold in my favor and I did not need to control this immediate moment or the next steps to making that happen. However, once my ego flipped and decided, no, this is what I want to happen at all costs and it hasn't happened yet and I'm frustrated about that and I'm scared that it might not be what this is next about either, that's what I call giving on a low. So when you can live in that uncertainty on a high, it feels great and you're really alive and it's it's just wonderful when you're there. It really is. But when you're not and you're kind of forced to let go of this perception of control of current circumstances those sorts of things that your ego perceives from the ego's point of focus, this is like giving on a low. 
And I felt so low one of these weeks. I think this was right around that time when you heard me talk about the anger a few weeks ago. I felt so low, I called one of my coaches. I would kind of call her like almost a mentor. She's much older than me and so wise. She's such a wise woman. She's in her 70s and she's had seven children and she's just incredible. And I talked with her and I was crying and I was just kind of really in a low loneliness spiral. And she said the words, I give up, help me. And for some reason, I innately latched on to that phrase. She said that, I give up, help me. What I knew to that to be was that I needed to let my ego give up this control. And instead of giving it up on a silver platter to my intuition, I felt like I was here in Bali at the side of this road. Now, if you guys have ever been to Ubud, you will know what I'm talking about here, but the sides of these streets are not really sidewalks. I mean, there's kind of sidewalks, but a lot of places there's not. And there's tons of motorbikes and cars and just crazy traffic all around. And what I felt like in that moment was like, this is my ego, right? Not me personally or who I am as a whole, but my ego felt like it was curled up in the fetal position on the side of the road after so much pain and so much discomfort because I was having all of these negative emotions and this non-acceptance of what was or what was unfolding that my intuition was peaceful about, that I felt like the ego was literally curled up in a ball saying, I give up help me. It wasn't unfolding in this fluid place. It was in a sign of true surrender. I was just so miserable being miserable that I needed to release and allow. So instead of flow and adventure, which is like super high flying states, super fun, super awesome. This was release and allow. And truly it was a surrender. It was a side of the road. I give up, help me. And that too even though it looks completely different and energetically is completely different, is the same act of releasing the ego's control on the unfolding to the intuition's guidance and knowing. So that is what I have found is there is a big connection for me so far with emotion and perception of control. And whether I am leaving this perception of control to my intuition's guidance or whether my ego is deciding what it wants to happen and then assuming it's going to and if it doesn't, that it freaks the heck out. So now let's move on to part two, difficult emotion and law of attraction. So as you guys know, I'm big on a law of attraction and you probably, if you're listening to this show still at this point, have been kind of interested or open to that concept. Well, in Law of Attraction, and Abraham Hicks is my favorite source for that kind of information, they talk about like attracting like, that things of similar vibrational frequency attract other things of similar vibrational frequency. So people in your life will often but not always seem to kind of match your mood. So like you might have a lot of great things just happen on this really good day that just gets better and better and better. And then you have really great conversations or you meet this really great new person. Or if you have a bad day, you might have a cranky waiter or you might have some traffic jams and that sort of thing. So that's the law of attraction in very basic terms. There's many more details to it, but at the end of the day, like attracts like. Well, I often for this last year, wanted to avoid the negative emotion because I knew that by having those negative emotions, I could be attracting more circumstances that were a frequency match to it. However, I think this is so common, by the way, and I think if you really get into it, I think this is possibly a phase that many people will go through is this fear of negativity once they really kind of figure out how this law works. It's like, oh my gosh, I don't want to 
ever touch negative emotion because I'm going to start creating negative circumstances. However, I've listened to so many hundreds of hours of Abraham that I can actually, I know intimately what they say when it comes to these negative issues. Here's what they actually say. So even though you hear all of these focuses on positive, their actual stance on negative is not actually bad. They talk about the contrast of what you want and what you don't want, helping you to expand your desires. If you always got what you wanted, you would never expand, and you're a part of this ever-expanding universe. So of course, contrast is what allows things to grow. If you always had the same favorite food every day, you'd have never have a new desire, and there would be no growth in this microcosm that is ultimately a reflection of the greater whole and the growth of the universe. It also is a clarifying thing. When you have a negative emotion, it clarifies more of what you want so that can be created. Once it's created, then it's up to you to just reach that vibrational level, that emotional level that matches this new desire you have. And that all came from the contrast of seeing something you didn't want. In addition, they always talk about the flow of the river and going with the stream of the river and that current of river rather than going up against it. And they always say that go with the flow of the river looks like you putting your boat in the river and flowing with whatever emotion you're at right now, whether it's anger or happiness or depression or joy, whatever it is, you got to flow with it to the next emotion that feels like relief from the last. So in a negative state, you're going to start at whatever negative emotion you are going to be at and you have to fully feel it. And then over time, once it's fully felt, they say the less negative emotion or two up that scale will start to surface. So if you're in depression, you may start to really feel that. And as you fully feel it, you may actually realize that anger feels better over time than staying in depression. Well, that's actually moving up the emotional scale. That's actually got more energy around it. It's got more action and options around it than depression. Of course, you don't want to stay in the state of anger, but it is one of those to move through so that you can move up to neutrality and then up into the positive, higher energy states. But staying stuck below anger in depression with no energy means nothing's happening at all. So you have to go into the river and follow the next emotion that feels like relief from the one that you're currently at. That's what they talk about all the time. But you just end up as you're listening going, yeah, 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 but the good stuff happens at the top. Thank you very much. I want to just launch back up there. So every time I was at the lower state, my ego would kind of subtly beat myself up over these difficult emotions. I know you guys probably even maybe have sent that at some points of this journey, but this has been, like I said, Ubud's been this great training ground for me to really look at this more deeply. And here are some of the things that I found, which starts with part three. Part three is the emotion game. So here in Bali, while I've been here, I've become really good friends with my friend Risa, who's staying here with me at Rome. And as we were talking about all the things that were going on in both of our lives from those first few weeks as all this stuff came up for us both, we were talking about emotion and how I kind of mentioned in one offhand comment that we could try to gamify it. Like, how can we make this more like a game to deal with these difficult emotions? And we started to talk about it. And Risa actually kind of fleshed it out. So we kind of made up this idea of kind of like a card game, like Go Fish or War. 
Now, it's not actually with two people or anything, but you have this game, and this is basically a deck of cards. The deck of cards is all the different types of emotions we could experience. And in step one, we pick up the card. This game of life has, you know, whatever thoughts or triggers happen in our lives, we have thoughts around them, and then those thoughts create those peptides, neural receptor sites, et cetera. Well, at that point, if we can bring awareness to what card we've picked up, what emotion have we picked up based on a situation or a thought or whatever it is, can we be aware enough to identify and label the emotion? That's step one. I've just picked up the card of anger, right? So it's not about you being the game. It's not about you being angry personally. It's not personifying your emotion. It's looking at the fact that this is a card that you're playing. It's a card you're dealt. It's a card you picked up. Whatever you want to call it, it's not you. It's just an experience you're having. Step two is then about playing that card. And that's actually about actually feeling the emotion, And then part three is discarding the card, letting it go, releasing it, clearing it, whatever term you want to use, not holding on to it is the name of that game. So that's the whole idea is that over our lives, we're just picking up these emotional cards, playing them, and then discarding them. That's as simple as it gets. So let's talk about how you play the emotion card because that was something, especially on the difficult emotions, that I have been learning to do in real time here in Bali, which brings me to part four and part five of this episode. So let's move on to part four, how to play the difficult emotion card. Okay, so if we're getting difficult emotions, this is something I've actually had to learn in this last few weeks because in the past, I would have just waited until something triggered me. In my old life, before I had been traveling, I probably would have just felt it and then let's say something happened like I didn't like how my partner said something or they didn't do something that I had an expectation about, okay? Or maybe I was upset about something totally different and then someone would do something that would upset me in a different place and I could lash out or I could blame it, what I thought my emotion was, on the actions of someone else. This is so common. I've worked with a lot of people over the years and so many people are blaming their emotions on other people instead of recognizing it's their own thoughts and reactions to those other people that are creating their emotions. And instead of trying to make the other person change, that's not the point. The point is actually about learning how to process the emotion you're now feeling and releasing it. That's the point. It's not about making other people change. It's about learning how to deal with your own emotion and releasing it. So as I've been traveling, I haven't had those people, because I keep moving around, to really attach this emotion to. So if I'm having emotions, I don't have these trigger points where I could have like misconstrued where it came from or I could have blamed someone else. I'm having these emotions with nowhere to funnel them towards. And it's a little bit unique because I don't have these other established relationships to push them on from an ego standpoint, of course, is what I'm talking about here. So this is actually wonderful, but just very foreign for me. I've had to learn how do I face simple, pure emotion without projecting it on a person or circumstances. This is where The Untethered Soul, which I've been reading recently by Michael Singer, is perfect. So I love when certain books just show up in my life and they're exactly the information that I need at exactly the right time. Yesterday I was reading the book and in this chapter I was reading, 
I was finding exactly this, how to deal with these negative emotions. So if you're especially right now in these negative emotions, I would love to read you some of what Michael Singer writes. I actually take notes on some books when I deeply, deeply love them and I want to integrate them into my life in a deeper way. So I'm actually gonna read you the notes and the quotes that I wrote down from his book. He says, if you want to be free, simply view inner pain as a temporary shift in your energy flow. I loved this quote. This quote was so cool for me. Your energy flow, and it's just a temporary shift. It's not negative or good or bad. It's just a temporary shift in your energy flow. Awesome. Also, it kind of reminds me of Abraham. They never say negative. They only say contrast, but a temporary shift in energy flow, I can totally get around that. In addition, he said, you must look inside yourself and determine that from now on, pain is not a problem. It's just a thing in the universe. It's just a temporary experience. Most people can hardly imagine what it would be like to be at peace with inner disturbance. But if you do not learn to be comfortable with it, you will devote your life to avoiding it. If you feel insecurity, it's just a feeling. You can handle a feeling. If you feel embarrassed, it's just a feeling. It's just a part of creation. If you feel jealousy and your heart burns, look at it objectively, like you would a mild bruise. It is a thing in the universe that is passing through your system. Laugh at it, have fun with it, but don't be afraid of it. It cannot touch you unless you touch it. As long as you can't handle the pain, you'll react by closing in order to protect yourself. And once you close, your mind will build an entire psychological structure around your closed energy. Your thoughts will try to rationalize why you're right, why the other person is wrong, and what you should do about it. When you feel pain, simply view it as energy. Just start seeing the inner experiences as energy passing through your heart and before the eyes of your consciousness. Then relax. Do the opposite of contracting and closing. Relax and release. Relax your heart until you are actually face-to-face with the exact place where it hurts. Stay open and receptive so you can be present right where the tension is. You must be willing to be present right where the tension is. You must be able to be present right at the place of tightness and pain and then relax and go even deeper. This is very deep growth and transformation. I loved this. Can you imagine just viewing pain as energy and all it needs to be done is be relaxing and then feeling it for growth? That's it. The pain is just energy. It just needs to be felt relaxed into and that it will move on and out of it we will grow. Let go and give room for the pain to pass through you. It's just energy. Just see it as energy and let it go. If you relax with the pain comes up inside your heart and actually dare to face it, it will pass. Every single time you relax and release, a piece of the pain leaves forever. I love that one. I'm going to say that line again because this is something that my ego... Even my ego will go, thank you, thank you for this. Every single time you relax and release, a piece of the pain leaves forever. Yet every time you resist and close, you're building up the pain inside. So that's what Michael Singer says, and now that has been my new practice, is to relax and release, to pay attention to my body and feel where the tightness is. So far, I've had a few little moments, tiny ones, that have come up that I can start to notice the negative emotions if they happen, 
And I've noticed so far, I'll get a tightness somewhere in my stomach area and then also up in my lower throat are the areas that I notice. And what that means is that I've had a neural thought or I've had a thought that a neuron has fired, sent to the hypothalamus, the bloodstream, you know, has that neural peptide in it. It goes into the cell receptor sites and I'm noticing that the chemicals of whatever emotions I'm feeling are going into some organ in my stomach area and some organ up in my throat. But as I'm feeling them, what I think is happening is we're just letting those cell receptor sites and those cells release the emotion that that peptide has put into it. We're feeling it rather than trapping it into that organ. So that's a really powerful thing. And so far, it has been passing. They're only baby things that I've had because this is actually up until yesterday. And I've been doing a lot better because I'm no longer fearing emotion. I'm just like, all right, I'm playing this card. It's been fun with Risa to say, okay, I picked up the card of anger. I picked up the card of sadness or whatever it might be. And then tell her, this is what I'm feeling. Try to feel the emotion, even with her there. You could do this with a partner or a friend. You can do this on your own, of course, too. But then we talk about it and then I say, I discard the card, which actually is perfect for part five, which is about how do we discard these cards. Now, the deciding factor in terms of your physical body and the feelings, you're probably discarding those cards just by feeling them alone. But what about discarding thoughts that are causing the negative emotions in the first place? Wouldn't it be cool if we could release those? That's where releasing ceremonies come in. Now, releasing ceremonies are pretty new to me. However, closing ceremonies, which are probably essentially the same thing, are not new to me. I actually, ironically, I have so much to thank Liz Gilbert for in so many ways. Here I am in Ubud, and this is where she spent her end of her year of journey and transformation herself. But one of the things I remember from Eat, Pray, Love years and years ago was her story on closing ceremonies, that she had one with her relationship, but she did it mentally because they didn't actually communicate, I don't think, at that point when she did it. But she mentally made a closing ceremony to end her relationship. And I loved that. And I have used it over the years in different things and seasons of my life where I had a story about myself or a situation that would play over and over and over again in my life. And I wanted to release it. I wanted to close that chapter. So I've done different versions of that. But in most recent weeks, I've had a friend, Ezzy Spencer, who's actually coming up next week on the show. I'm doing an interview with her about the moon cycles and how to plan your life according to them, which has been amazingly eye-opening. But after recording the interview with Ezzy, she suggested that I do a releasing ceremony at the full moon because it just happened to be the full moon when we were recording that day. So at the start of the new moon and the full moon, again, you'll find out more when we listen to next week's interview, these two places of the moon cycle are places where people typically will do releasing ceremonies. And I think this is incredible. So here's what you do. Because I happen to have the full moon, I did it with the full moon, but basically it's really straightforward. I wrote down on a piece of paper all the thoughts in my head that I wanted to release Anything that was causing stress in my life or thoughts that were creating negative emotions, I wrote them down. I released the thought of blank. Whatever it was, I released these thoughts. I kept saying, I release, I release. So you probably would have seen like, I don't know, 30, 50 different releasing statements. Anything that was on my mind, I wanted to delete from my brain. I wrote them all down on this piece of paper. Then I tore it up and I burned it. Because I was in the place I'm staying at, I actually just burned it over the toilet so it didn't, you know, create a fire or anything like that. But I just burned it 
flush the toilet, which I actually kind of like <laughs> when it comes to burning things and releasing them. There's something kind of nice about flushing it down a toilet. Like, yeah, if you have a raging fire, that's cool too. But if you don't have access to a fire, flush it down the toilet, burn it, flush it out. And then I took a nap. Now, that's because the full moon was at 2 p.m. in Bali. It's usually in the U.S. I think it's usually at nighttime. So you could do it before going to bed if you wanted to time it to the full moon or the new moon. But for me, it was in the middle of the afternoon. So I took a nap. And when I woke up, I noticed a huge difference. It was as if a weight had been lifted from me psychologically. What I believe possibly was actually happening is that as I wrote this out, I was consciously giving my subconscious brain permission to release and let go of these thoughts. In addition, I think the sleep portion was very important to this because Abraham Hicks will even say that going to sleep is the best way to start a new direction of momentum. So if you've got a momentum built up in a negative direction, getting sleep is the best way to slow down the negative momentum and start fresh when you wake up. So if you're in the Northern Hemisphere and it's like a new moon or a full moon and it's going to happen at night, just do it before you go to bed and then wake up and hopefully you'll feel better. But if you're even able to just take a nap and it's not a moon cycle or anything, you just want to do a releasing ceremony because you're sick of having these thoughts in your head, try taking a nap or going to sleep afterwards so that you can slow down the momentum that's been building in that negative direction and see how you feel when you get up. I can't promise what the experience will be like for you when you do it, but I have seen it as a super helpful process, even on the closing ceremonies I did in the past, which were very similar to this one as well. And I think it's something I would like to build in much more regularly. This whole moon cycle thing, like I said, will be next week's episode. I think it's amazing to build in these regular periods of purging negative thoughts that we would like to release that are no longer serving us. It's wonderful to focus on the positives of what we do want more of in our lives. So I'm not saying we should dwell on the negative. However, showing the light to them and then releasing them, I think is even better than trying to avoid them or block them out. All right, let's now move on to part six, the cocoon effect. Okay, so lately, as you guys have heard, actually, I think I mentioned this in last week's episode as well. I've been feeling like this butterfly in a cocoon, feeling super trapped and tight. It's like I was a caterpillar that crawled into this chrysalis and I am ready to come out because I know it's getting too tight to stay in it, but I haven't fully emerged yet. I don't know if that has entirely just to do with this dealing of negative emotions and learning how to be able to process them or if there's something bigger and transforming and transformational coming in my life. But either way, I think that when we're starting to learn how to face and deal with negative emotions, this can feel like this cocoon, awkward, chrysalis phase. And we're kind of breaking out, but we haven't fully gotten there yet. And it's icky and it's tight and it's difficult. But that contrast is all providing the growth and the fertile ground that we're going to use in the future. We're going to have all of these new capabilities. We're going to be able to fly in the future because of the fact that we went into this constricted phase where our old patterns were no longer serving us and we wanted to develop new ones. Or even if we didn't want to develop new ones, life was saying, hey, it's time to find a better way to deal with this. Or we're just like, I don't want to do it the same way I used to do it before. This is actually a good thing, even though it feels so crappy to be in it. It's a good thing. This is something that reminds me of that quote by Aeneas Nin or Aeneas Nin. I'm not sure how you say her name. 
that says, and the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. I think that this is, especially when the ego's trying to relinquish control from that surrendered negative place rather than the high flying place, eventually we just, the pain of staying where we were becomes more painful than just taking the risk of blossoming. This is what these awkward phases are calling us towards. They're not bad periods. They're periods of growth. And the blossom comes from us outgrowing the old patterns and stepping into new ones. This is natural. It's normal. It's nature. It is the universe. This is how this works. In fact, I've realized in my own life and sharing this journey with you that it's time for me to go within. I've loved sharing this journey with you guys in real time over the past year. It's been an amazing pleasure and joy, but now it's time to go within. Ironically, last May as well, I took the season break from the show so that I could to the transition of starting to travel and also just because the show's always had a season break and it happened to be last May as well. That's what I'm gonna do here with you. In May, I've created a special quantum living series that I'm gonna be sharing about soon, but in June is when I'm gonna return with season four of The Lively Show. So I've got one final episode for you next week about the moon cycles and how to plan according to them. So if you've been trying to find a way to take action and rest in equal measure in your life and you want to have a system that allows you to do that in a systematic and planning way, the moon cycles are an amazing thing to consider. It's not like literally like the moon's going to make you do anything, but it can help you create a pace in your life that flows between the yin and the yang energies of your life in a fluid and flowing way. I'm so excited about this. I've been doing it myself this month and even with the difficulties you've heard me share about negative emotions and processing and all of that, this framework, I can only imagine what it would even be great for in a positive mindset, but even in the negative, it's been super, super helpful. So I'm gonna have that episode, then we'll have a special series in May about quantum living. So excited to share that with you too because it's something that I've been wanting to create for people when they ask me about the show and they say, what episode should I listen to? These episodes coming up in May are the ones I want people to listen to if they're just getting into the lively show now. So I'm going to have those air and then we're going to start season four with you in June. So if you're feeling crappy emotions right now or your ego is so clenched to some particular outcome that its white knuckles are sore from the clenching, I see you, I feel you, I get you, I'm here with you, you are well, all is well, this too shall pass, be with the pain, notice it, feel it, release it. It may not happen today or even tomorrow, but all things are possible in time, absolutely, always, and yes. And there you have it. Thank you so much for listening. And if you want to find me on Instagram, Snapchat, or Twitter, you can find me at Jess C as in chocolate chai chewy bar lively. And for show notes for this episode, head over to JessLively.com slash release and allow. Before I share where I'm headed to next on my trip, let's talk with Lively Show listener Nan Phillips about her experience with today's sponsor, Squarespace.com. Nan, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I am a senior in college. I go to a small liberal arts school in Vermont. And then aside from my schoolwork, I also have a small lifestyle blog. It's called Simply Elegant. And I really just use it as a nice creative outlet and sort of way to mix up everything from my regular homework and classwork. 
It's a small blog. I really just focus on everything that's inspiring me at the moment. So it might be travel, fashion, desk planner I'm using for 2016, really a whole range. And it's just a sort of a fun, bright place for me to go other than my schoolwork and connect with a different group of people. How long have you been blogging? I've had my blog for two years. Oh, I'm so jealous that you got to be blogging two years of your college. That's fantastic. I did not get to do that when I was younger in college. There was blogging, I guess, but no one was really using it. So it was not what it is today. So I'm a little jealous that you get to share all of those bits and pieces of your college experience there. That's awesome. So why did you choose Squarespace? I've used Squarespace for a year. Originally, when I started my blog, I started on WordPress and I really struggled with it. And I was new to it all. So I was like, maybe this is just a really big learning curve. But for me, not knowing how to code, not knowing HTML, I really couldn't make a lot of the customized changes that I wanted to make and really make my blog feel like my own. And I just would always get so lost and always so frustrated. So then a friend of mine who is a comp sci major here where I go to college suggested that the new backend to use was Squarespace. So I quickly took their advice and switched over and I really haven't looked back. It's such a wonderful platform and it's really helped with my ease of not really having to stress about the behind the scenes work of my blog and just focus on my content. What's your favorite part of Squarespace? I think my favorite part is how easy it is to use and really how well designed it is. I really care about aesthetics and the fact that like I can clearly know exactly what I'm looking for, click on pages to write a new blog post, click on metrics to see how many people are viewing my blog. It's so straightforward and there's this great drag and drop anywhere. Like I can imagine what I want my blog to look like and I can just simply move things around to get it there instead of having to mess with all this code and figure out all these different symbols. It's so straightforward. So I know you're really passionate when it comes to giving advice to people that you know in person in your real life that are thinking about starting a blog. What's your advice for those people? The first thing I would say is to really consider what domain name you want to use and how you're going to get the domain name that you want. I think a lot of people will just quickly start with whatever they can get and think they can change it as they go. And that's just really not the best way to start. You really want to start with something that can grow with you. And I think why Squarespace is so great is the fact that they help you and set up your own custom domain name right from the start. So you don't need to go through a third-party hosting site. It takes all of that complicated nature out of it. And if I was to do it again, I would have done that from the start. And that way, really, Squarespace is helping to take out that extra step. And you can just decide you want to start a website, go on to Squarespace, and start it from day one without the complicated nature that might happen with other platforms. So for anyone who is excited to give Squarespace a try, as Nan has said, and give this a shot, you can get a free 14-day trial by going over to squarespace.com backslash lively. And then if you like it and you're into it and you've got the perfect site ready to go, you can actually move forward with it and get 10% off of your service by entering the code lively at checkout. Again, that's squarespace.com backslash lively. Enter the code lively at checkout and you'll get 10% off of your service. So Nan, where can people find you online? People can find me at simplyelegantblog.com and Simply Elegant blog on Instagram. Nan, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. It was great. And now for a sneak peek, I am staying this next week in Ubud and then heading off soon to Australia again for a new workshop. Until next week, may something wonderful happen to you today. 